0: Good morning. That's a good song, isn't it? <laughs> That's a good song. Woo! Mercy. All right. Grab a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 3, would you? Ephesians chapter 3. Reach for a Purack Bible if you need to go there or digital device or whatever. Ephesians chapter 3, I encourage you to keep your Bible open uh, through the, the message. We're going to be looking at a few phrases in this passage I'm going to read for us from Ephesians chapter 3. It'd be helpful for you to be able to track with The text as as we look at it together. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21, a magnificent passage of Scripture. Let me invite you to stand. Let me read this for us. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this, verse 14, for this reason And length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen, and all God's people said, amen, and be seated. So this is my second Sunday back after a little hiatus in the month of July, I was not here last Sunday, but the Sunday before, the first Sunday of August, and as is my custom, if you were here two weeks ago, you know this, I share a message about what God's been teaching me, what God's been doing in my life, and... And, uh, and so, two weeks ago, shared a message about, about this. You'll remember if you were here, I trust, that there's something better than knowing God. This is one of the things I've been learning of late, last several months in my life, something even better than knowing God, and it is this precious reality of being known by God, being known by God. It's been a hugely important, practical, really life-changing insight and truth for me over the last couple of months, indeed, last couple of years, today's message is what I'm going to call part two of that message. Never done this before, right? I, I normally will do that one message and then we'll kind of move on to a new sermon series. But but I have a Lord's been teaching me a lot of things the last couple of months, and and I've got another burden on my heart to share with you from this passage in Ephesians. Another insight that has been powerful for me, and I've been trying to lay a hold of. And I want to share it, so I want to call this part two of what God has been teaching me. And I've entitled the message this morning, perhaps you saw it in the bulletin or the handout that you received on the way in. Did you see the title for this morning's message? The hardest thing you could ever do. The hardest thing you or or I, any of us, could ever do. And I've given this message, that title, because in this passage, I think that's what Paul exposes for us. That's what Paul points to is, believe it or not, something that is unimaginably difficult for us to do. And so that's why I've given it that title. But I've also given it that title because I personally find this incredibly hard to do maybe the hardest thing I could ever do, the most difficult, the most stretching, the most beyond my human capacity, the most challenge. you see what it is in this passage? you see what it is that is so hard it requires divine strength and power to do? When I think of something really hard, my mind goes back to about 12, 13 years ago when I read John Krakauer's famous little book on the 1996 ascent of Mount Everest. It's called Into Thin Air and describes this ascent of Mount Everest that ended in tragic disaster for a number of people. And I got done reading that, book, and when I got done reading it, I was disappointed because it was such a thrilling read, such an inspiring read. And, And I thought to myself, you know, I think I'd like to try to climb Mount Everest. And so I got online, I started Googling it, and I realized you need like, you need like six months to give up your life, you need like $60,000, you need a high-altitude alpine climbing resume, which I didn't have, right? And, and then I thought to myself, well, if I climb Everest, I'm probably going to die if I do that. And I thought to myself, well, I'm never going to climb Everest. Never going to do this hardest thing I could imagine think of hard, really hard things. I think of my brother-in-law, Andy, my wife Katie's brother, who not too long ago completed an Ironman triathlon. Have you ever heard of an Ironman triathlon? So just start with triathlon, which is you've got to put back-to-back, right? Like swim, bike, run, back-to-back. But the Ironman is called Ironman for a reason. <laughs> you start with a 2.4-mile swim, which if you're a good swimmer will take you about an hour and a half. Then you kind of dry off a little bit, throw your shoes on, jump on a bike, and, and you need to bike now 112 miles, which is like going from the parking lot of Calvary Memorial Church 20 miles past Milwaukee on your bike. Five or six hours, if you're a good biker. After your one and a half hour swim, if you're a good swimmer. Then you get off of your bike, and you're not going for pizza at that point. You've got to now run a marathon. miles. I mean, the whole thing is mind-boggling. 140 miles all told. It is totally crazy. Evidently, you burn something like 10,000 calories in this whole days-long event. It sounds completely impossible. Like the hardest thing I could imagine ever doing. Some of you have done really hard things like that. But you want to know what? This passage describes something even harder to do, not a challenge for the body like an Iron Man, but a challenge for our soul, for our heart. What is the hardest thing you could ever do with your soul, with your heart, as a person? Do you see it there in the text? It's this. To grasp, to grasp, to lay hold of the greatness of God's love for you. To really know it deep down in the marrow of your bones. To really experience and enjoy the stunning and almost scary love that God has for you. To say, as we just sang, you are a good, good father, that's who you are, that's who you are, that's who you are, but to say this, and to feel it, and to experience it, and to enjoy it, and to rest in it, and I am loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. Notice, not to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's not the hardest thing. Oh yeah, that requires divine strength and empowerment, but that I don't think is the hardest thing. The hardest thing is to bask in and rest in and trust in and rely upon God's amazing love for you. And why do I say that in light of this passage? You're thinking yourself, I heard the passage read. Where did you get that from, Wilson? Why do I say that in light of this passage? Where do I get that idea? Well, take a look at the passage. What do we find Paul doing in this passage? We find Paul in an intimate moment of being on his knees, praying. So we get a here into his heart, we get a here into his soul, we get a window into what he is most passionate about and wants to see conveyed by the grace of God into the life of believers like you and like me. And what does he pray for? Strength. Strength. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, verse 14. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16, that according to his riches of his glory, he may grant you, here it is, to be strengthened with power. You need strength, he's praying, you need power. Through his spirit in your inner being, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see how Paul's unfolding this beautiful logic of this passage that you, being rooted and grounded in love, here it comes again, may have strength. He's praying for strength. Strength to do what? What do we need an amazing amount of empowerment from God Himself to actually be able to do? Answer, verse 19. Verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints (laughs) this incredible reality. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And he can't even finish the sentence. He just kind of transitions verse 19. And this is what we need strength for, to know the love of Christ. To know how passionate and unswerving is Jesus' commitment to his people, to you. To have strength. To wrap our heads around, no, to wrap our hearts around that. That is what Paul prays for. Strength to do the hardest thing we could ever do, which is grasp God's love for us in Jesus. It's a curious thing, though, isn't it? That we would need to be empowered with strength, divine power, to, like, grasp God's love for us? I mean, doesn't that seem like a pretty straightforward idea? Like, God loves us. We talk about it all the time, and it seems like it's a fairly agreeable kind of concept. And, and why would we need strength to do that? That seems like it's pretty easy. And the Bible talks about the love of God all the time. John 3.16, God so loved the world. Galatians 2.20, Jesus loves us and gave himself for us, and on and on and on and on and on. The Bible on almost every page talks about God being love and God's love for us. So why is it so hard for us to rest in and let our identity be shaped by, experience, and enjoy the love God has for us? Why is that? Probably a variety of reasons could be given, but... At root, let me set this one reason out. We struggle to embrace the love of God when it seems like it would be such an easy thing to embrace because all of us, deep down in our souls, are very well defended against the love of God. Deep down in our souls. Very well defended. Do you know what I mean by well defended? We quickly and intuitively and naturally and subconsciously put up defenses to the thought of God really loving us with unswerving loving commitment. Some of you may... um, have familiarity with, with adoption realities and, and things that can go on in adoptive the lives of adoptive children and adoptive families. And one of the one of the, the the painful realities that can happen in adoptive families and with adopted children is what is called attachment disorder. Or reactive attachment disorder or acute attachment disorder. But like Phrases like that, it kind of domesticates the pain of the reality. Oh, it's just got reactive attachment disorder. It makes it sound sort of domesticated and manageable, but it's incredibly painful if that's a reality. What is reactive attachment disorder? Well, it is when a child never really bonds with a mom or a dad, a primary caregiver, and so never develops that capacity, that very unique human capacity to bond with another human being, which is absolutely essential for the development of children into healthy adults. And sometimes kids never get that kind of attachment from a primary caregiver, and so those children go through life, tragically, not really ever connected to anyone. Not really ever feeling truly, deeply loved by anyone. Not experiencing being loved or ever experiencing being loved by another human being. And one of the tragic consequences of this is that when children struggle with this, what they do is they, they often build up more defenses. They never have the attachment. And then what they do to kind of Protect themselves and protect their heart and their vulnerability as they build up more defenses so that even gestures of love are resisted. And in acute cases, what can happen is, in fact, you can kind of act out against the love that's coming at you because the defenses are so high and so strong. You will sabotage gestures of love. That's a reality in the lives of some adoptive children. And if you've been up close with that reality, I can tell you, you know it is incredibly difficult and painful and heartbreaking. But here's the deal, I think, with all of us, all of us. When it comes to being enfolded into God's family, When it comes to being loved by our good, good father, we all, because of the fall, have reactive attachment disorder. (laughs) We have by nature, our fallen human nature, a defensiveness to the love of God that flares up, flies up, springs up in our souls often without us even being conscious or aware of it. And why? If you look down in that kind of attachment disorder to our Heavenly Father's love for us, what do you find that is animating the defensiveness? I think you see a couple of things. One, fear. Will the love be real from God? If I open myself up to the love of God, will it be real? Will it last? Will it be unconditional? Or will he demand things of me? I think we also see shame. Not just fear, but shame. I don't know about opening myself up to God, to his love, because what if he moves in in love and actually sees the real me and is like, eh, here's a little love, but eh. Because all of us have had that experience with other human beings and it is searingly painful. It is shaming. And not only fear and shame, I think when we look down in our hearts, what we find as well is probably deep-seated anger. Anger at God. I don't want to let God love me because of how God has treated me. What has God really done for me anyway? Consider my life and the circumstances of my life. God love me? That is a myth and a fairy tale. I might sing about it at church, but there's not going to be really opening to the intimacy of God's love for me. And that anger in our souls with shame and fear, it is the anger of a disillusioned child who's been let down and disappointed by his parents just too many times. The way it looks, the way we express it. You see, we all have these kinds of defenses around our hearts, I believe. Blocking the love of God. Sure, we may be able to play lip service. Yes, yes, I know God loves me. I know God loves me. But to really know, like in the marrow of our bones, not just something you know in your head, but something you grasp with your heart, to say, I am loved by you, it is who I am. It is who I am. It is who I am. And it is, in fact, the most important thing about who I am, that I am loved by God. Hey, who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. I am loved by God. (laughs) I mean, can we say that without blushing? Because it's the all-defining reality of our lives. How does that happen? To be able to say, I am loved by you. It's who I am. How does that happen? Happen To comprehend, as Paul puts it, the love of Christ. Where does one even begin? How does that happen in your soul, in my soul? Here is what this passage lays out for us. It begins with the presence of Christ. It begins with the presence of Christ. You see how Paul prays. This is Trinitarian magic that happens in this passage. You see how Paul prays to the Father? You see there, verse 16, take a look in your Bible. He prays to the Father for strength to comprehend the love of Christ, and the strength comes through whom? Verse 16, through the Spirit. Paul prays to the Father. For the Spirit to go into our lives in a powerful way, strengthening us. And then, look at verse 17. What does it mean that the Spirit of God from the Father of God would come into our hearts and lives to strengthen us to know the love of Christ? What does that mean? Verse 17, check it out. It means the presence of Christ in your life increasingly. And why does Paul pray that way? Because he knows this little secret. Only God can grasp the greatness of God's love for you. Only God can. It's a burden we cannot lift ourselves. It's way too height, breadth, depth, length, massive for any one of us to shoulder, lay hold of, to grasp. We need God inside of us to grasp God's love for us. So it begins with the presence of Christ, as you see there, more of Christ, more of Christ. Look at verse 17, so that Christ may dwell, not pass through, not rent for a few months, but may set up his habitation in your hearts through faith, because when God is in you, God can grasp God's love for you and communicate it to you. Through Christ, through Christ. So it's all about the presence of Christ, getting more of Christ in our hearts. But how do we get more of Christ in our hearts, right? How does that work? Well, take a look at verse 17 again. When you look at that little phrase there in verse 17 where Paul tells us exactly how we get Christ to dwell in our hearts increasingly. And you see the little phrase there at the end of verse 17. Someone say it out for me. Through faith. Don't want to miss that. Christ, who is God, resides in our hearts, and he resides in our hearts. He's let in and resides and takes up residence and occupies the space in our soul through the doorway of faith. The doorway of faith. You want more of Christ? Christ comes into our lives through faith. Faith. Through faith. Now, make sure we're clear on what faith means in the Bible and certainly in this passage. Faith does not mean belief. That is to say, ideas and stuff in your head about who Jesus is. Rather, faith is an act of the will. It is surrender to the love of God in your life. Faith, if it's biblical faith, if it's genuine faith, if it's real faith and true faith, is, listen to me, surrendering to the love of God. Which means it is letting down the defenses of fear and shame and anger. It is stopping the resistance. Surrendering to something magnificent. and You might even say kind of scary. The love of God. Faith not as belief, faith as surrender, surrendering to the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I wonder if there are some here this morning who need to make the move from belief to surrender. You've been around church for a long time, perhaps you're a student, you grew up in the church, you graduate with a a from the AWANA program, you got tons of the Bible verses memorized, and you're faithful in Sunday school and all of the reminder. You go to a Christian school, you got all this Christianity up in your head, but it is belief and it is not translated yet into surrender of your life and yourself to the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning may be the morning you need to make that transition from belief to surrender. And maybe others of you that have been around the church for a long, long time. You've been in lots of Bible studies. You've listened to lots of sermons. You feel like you've got a great handle on this whole Christianity thing. And yet, deep down, as you hear me talking, you know there's something missing. Deep down. And what's missing deep down is a sense, a real palpable sense of the love God has for Perhaps it's because your faith has only been in your head, not in your heart. You've not really surrendered to Jesus and his love for you. There may be some of you here that are newcomers to this whole church thing at all. Popped in a few weeks ago. We're delighted that you're here. You've been listening to music. You've been listening to sermons. You've been enjoying the thing. You've been intrigued with everything that's happening and learning about Jesus. It all seems reasonable enough, but you're not really yet ready to yield control of your life over to God. Perhaps this morning is your time to do just that. Regardless of what your situation is, regardless of what your story is, you've been attending the church for a long time, you're brand new. You and I, we only move closer to the love of God in Christ Jesus, we only grasp it more fully through faith, by surrendering our will to God's will, our life to his love. As Jesus would put it, not my will, but your will be done. God, I trust you. I'm relying upon you. I need you in my life every day, every hour, every moment. I am fully surrendered to you. So through faith, verse 17... But if we want more of Christ, check out verse 18 with me, will you? There is a second thing we need to see here in this passage. If we want to lay hold of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, will you look at verse 18? I want to point out a simple little phrase. It would be easy to pass right over the top of. Check it out. May we have, verse 18, strength to comprehend. He's going to go on to talk about comprehend the love of Christ. But notice what he puts in between that and comprehend. Check it out, that phrase, with all the saints we grow in our capacity to grasp the love of God not as solo artists or in private or in isolation we grow in our capacity to grasp the love of God in relationship and in community with as Paul would put it all the saints the body of Christ we need each other if we're going to grasp the love of God. We need reminders from one another. We need encouragement from one another. We need keep on keeping on. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what God says. He loves you. We need those kinds of reminders. You know what else we need from one another? We need the experience of being loved by each other. Really, deeply, faithfully, being loved by each other. And so I simply want to say, if you're struggling to know God's love for you, to trust God's love for you, then one of the ways you can grow in your grasp of God's love is by moving deeper into the community of believers. Often when we're struggling with knowing God's love for us, we tend to hang on the margins. But that's not most helpful. Because we grasp and comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God, we do that through faith, we do that with all of the saints. To lean into Christian community, we grow in our capacity to, love, to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. But there is one more thing I want to say about this passage, and then we will be done, and it is there in verse 17. Will you look there? the reminder that we need to hear as we're talking about grasping God's love for us, how precious and powerful that can be. If we're going to grow in our grasp of God's love, we need to remember this, that we have already encountered and experienced more love than we could possibly imagine. That we have already met with An amazing amount of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Where do I get that idea from? Notice verse 17, the language Paul uses there of being, look in the middle of verse 17, being rooted, you see it there, rooted and grounded in love. Rooted like a tree, it goes deep with roots, grounded like a tall building with a great foundation. What is he referring to? As he's praying that they be able to grasp God's love, he reminds them, hey, check it out. You are already rooted in God's love. What is he referring to? Well, in short, he's referring to everything that God has already done for you in Christ Jesus. And what is that? Well, check this out. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Will you look there and buckle in your seatbelt, put your seatbelt on, maybe even a helmet? Check out the rooting and grounding in love that has already happened to the people of God as they desire to grasp the love of God even more fully how you have been rooted in the love of God look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 think about this God the bible says chose us <laughs> he chose you in him that is in Jesus not when you were converted Not like 100 years ago, but check it out. Before the foundation of the world, before anything existed, God rooted you in his amazing love. In love, look there in that verse, in love he predestined us for, here's our word, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In love, the Father's eternal love. His grounding you and his love goes back for all eternity past. There is no beginning to it. No beginning to it. But that's not all. Check it out right from the book of Ephesians. Go to chapter 2. You're in chapter 1, go to chapter 2, and check this out. It gets even more exciting. Well, I don't know about more exciting. It's still exciting. <laughs> well, it get more exciting than all eternity past. God's loved us. That's mind-blowing. But check out chapter 2. Verses 1 through 6, when we, verse 1, says dead in trespasses and sins, not not super cool with the love of God. We are dead in trespasses and sins, but look at verses 4 and 5, some of the best verses in the Bible, but God being rich in mercy, check it out, here it is, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Here is the deal. God loved you before you ever could do anything during his love. And God loved you before you ever did do anything during his love. And he loved you when you were doing lots of stuff rejecting his love. You've been rooted and grounded in love. That's our foundation. That's our grounding. That's our hope. That's our confidence. That's our assurance. And so, listen, we don't grasp for the love of God. Strive, I got, I got, I got, strive to get serious about knowing how much God loves me. We rest in being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, even as we seek to grow in our grasp of how much more love God has for us. Do you see time and eternity vanish from view in this passage? God has always loved you in Christ. All eternity past. Get your time machine. Go back, go back, go back, go back. you run out of gas on that machine. You'll never get there. And all eternity future... Endless waves of the love of God is going to wash over your soul and mine for all eternity, world, with, out. And we need strength to get our heads around all that. And to get our hearts around this precious thing that all of us in this room want kind of love that all of us want, a kind of love that has no strings attached, a kind of love that's not quid pro quo, a kind of love that does not pay me back, a kind of love that is not sort of, i got something for you to do in return for me because I've just been loving you and now you got to owe me some stuff. We all, deep in our souls, crave and long for and so seldom experience, so seldom get, so seldom share with others, unconditional love. Unconditional But that, brothers and sisters, is what God has rooted and grounded you in, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, we're going to close the service this morning by singing one of my favorite new hymns. This is a new hymn that has beautiful lyrics that that just inspire us to think about and to celebrate the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. A song that, as it's put in our mouth and put on our lips, will help us to grasp the greatness of God's love. It's titled, Oh, the Love of My Redeemer. You may have heard that song. It was written by our very own Josh Caterer. And I remember when I first heard that song, I saw it with Pastor Gerald on YouTube, and, and I immediately thought to myself, this is fantastic. And when I got to know Josh's story, I was even more encouraged because that song was not just some poet sitting in a coffee shop trying to get spiritual. That's a song born out of his own story. I'm not going to share his story. Where's Caterer? Caterer, we're going to have you share your story at some point. Inspiring story about meeting the love of his Redeemer and his life being radically transformed. And my favorite word in the whole song, all these beautiful lyrics, is the first word of the title. Oh! (laughs) Oh! Not oh with a question mark, but oh with an exclamation point. It's a one word for worship. Oh, the love of my Redeemer. Wow, wow. To bask this morning, brothers and sisters, in the love that Jesus has for you. To let the love of our Redeemer be medicine to our souls to let the love of our Redeemer dry up our insecurities, heal, heal our fear, our anger, and our shame. Highest heights or darkest deep, be there pain or poverty, there is nothing that can keep my Redeemer's love from me. All alone, though I may feel, be there pain or poverty, there is no one that can steal my Redeemer's love for me. Although burdened by the weight, burdened by the weight of great trial or tragedy, you hear that? The weight of trial and tragedy is so heavy on you, none of these can separate my Redeemer's love from me. Though the world's few passing days and through all eternity, I will never cease to praise my Redeemer's love for me. Oh, the love of my Redeemer, never failing, come what may, he has purchased my forgiveness and washed, washed my sins away. Father, thank you for the amazing, amazing Plan of salvation, story of redemption, truth of who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the the mystery and the grandeur and the glory of how you catch us up in the love that you share, Father to Son, who is the Spirit, and that we get to share in that. And Father, I guess our deepest desire, my deepest desire for these brothers and sisters and for everyone in this room, And my deepest desire for myself is that we we would really have strength. I pray strength this morning, strength through your Spirit to comprehend that which surpasses knowledge, the height, depth, breadth, and width of the love of Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen.